I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, I am your host, Matt Dixon. And well, what a week it was. We're going to talk about some results, some human development in a little moment when we get on to word of the week. But we begin with four words, four magical words in my lens as a coach. Consistency, progression, specificity, and patience. Those are the four words, four critical words in endurance sports performance. Today, we're going to just focus on one, specificity. It's a word that is misunderstood by coaches and athletes, misapplied, and when misapplied, can lead to obsession, lack of enjoyment, paralysis of analysis, and a host of other things. Today, specificity. We redefine it and we make it useful to you to enable you to find your best route to performance, whatever your goals are. But before we do that, Let's go with the jingle. We like the way he thinks. Serious with a wink. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, it is Word of the Week once again. And this week, the word shortcuts. Shortcuts. What this must be about life hacking. This must be the claim of how to navigate the shorter direction that no one knows about, whether special cure or potion. What can we do to get there? No, it isn't about that. It's actually a little coach pride, but this isn't going to be some gratuitous claim for self glory. It actually is about results and it is about our athletes, but it's about human beings behind the stories that create the coach pride this week. See, last weekend, we had a very big weekend of racing that spanned the globe, no less. China, Florida, Greece, Peru, and more. And out of it came a collection of great results. Three professional podiums, six age group wins, a further four age group podiums, and a whole bunch of personal achievements. Super bully for us, you might say. Me barking on about success like this just progressed the misguided theme that Purple Patch is only for age group winners and elite athletes. But that's not the story here. The real story is about development and pragmatism for these athletes within their time-starved life. And this goes well beyond Purple Patch. It's so much of what we talk about and I believe can help you thrive, the listener. Let me pull a few short examples. Juan Miguel Raffo, 55 years of age. He's a father. He operates a textile factory employing more than 1,500 people in Lima, Peru. Two years, never been near a win. Transitioning his mindset from obsession of volume to integrating sport into life. Instead of chasing hours and ultimately finding fatigue, he becomes an age group winner. Now he's got to make a long trip to Nice this fall to compete at the 70.3 World Championships. The even better thing, his daughter won the 18-24 division. Giovanni Carriere, he began his journey with a five-year North Star goal. I just want to crack the top 10 in my age group and qualify to 70.3 Worlds. This weekend, Giovanni, Greece 70.3, sixths, you accept your spot to Worlds. Well done, two years into the journey, not by adding load, 
not by diluting focus in your life, but careful and progressive planning in support of your coach, Sean Garrick. Jordan Blanco, multiple-time Kona qualifier, been in the sport thriving at the high end of the age groups since I was in diapers, which I guess that means I wore diapers through college, but this weekend at 47 years of age performs her best Ironman 70.3 ever, a PR on a legitimate course and an age group winner. Ignacio Iggy Lopez Mancesador, father of four, C-level executive, frequent travel to his home country of Mexican, transitions from being hours obsessed to one of pragmatism, a quantum leap to performance, an age group winner, not fairy dust, but a commitment to performance within context of his life. And finally, Maria Luz Alarano, mother of four, extensive travel, staying pragmatic through that travel, not chasing hours, but chasing performance. And what does she do? Her best Ironman 70.3 performance at 45 years of age, just one minute behind Jordan Maria Luz, or as I call you, Pinky. This last week, yes, I smiled at those results. But what I was smiling at was that so many, including those listed above, have committed to integrating sport into life, retaining a lens of pragmatism and search for results, both in, yes, their triathlon, but also in life just as much. This isn't vapor, it's performance. And the wins are nice, but they're not defining. The defining piece is that these athletes thrive across all areas of life, and they happen to be some of the ones that crack the podium. So we can celebrate their medals, but the real celebration is the same for anyone who is thriving, enjoying endurance, sport, and training, and thriving in life. So for this word of the week, you don't have to be a purple patch athlete to excel. But if you're time starved, you must bring pragmatism into your training and your life and place your energy and focus in the simple and repeatable. There are no shortcuts to this. It is a way of doing. And hence in the irony, the word of the week this week is shortcuts. Because there ain't none, brother. So now... With that, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. All right, troops, the meat and potatoes. Let's begin with this. You have a design. That design has a thousand moving parts. You collect the premium grade components developed out of the highest skilled and highest level of precision engineering. Each piece of the contraption is handcrafted or precision machined. Each piece is then cleaned and filtered, inspected under a microscope, hand selected with the finest piece of the craftsmanship, and then each piece recleaned refined to the widths and depths measured in microns. Yes, that's very small. With pieces in hand, sitting spread with each piece in its own protective blanket and container, the watchmaker then takes over. The task is to take every refined piece of the puzzle and carefully collate them to create a timeless piece of art, precision engineering and accurate time-telling. Every piece, a critical role. Independent in role, 
but critical as a part of a team that makes up the unit. The watch. More than a month of assembly, balancing independent parts into an orchestra of a package of precision. Once complete, the testing begins again. And only then, once past the testing and one final clean, the strap is applied. It is destined for your wrist. It becomes a piece of art, but also the most fabulous and precise hand craftsmanship and machine engineering that exists. Now, that is the process to create a Swiss watch. You are not a Swiss watch. I am not a watchmaker. So why is it then that so many think that the solution to finding optimal personal performance lies from an approach that parallels such an integrate process. This isn't specificity that we talk of, but so many think it is. It is precision, a word that doesn't really hold a place in endurance sports or coaching. I guarantee you guys, it's way dirtier than that. It's way more random. You see, I find this word precision leads to obsession, paralysis of analysis, eroding confidence, and a typical over-reliance on metrics. So today, we're going to talk about specificity. Specificity done right. It's a reimagination of what getting specific in your training means, and how you don't need to live life like a Swiss watch to get wonderful and lasting results in sport and life. So, yes, coming back up to the top, specificity, it is one of the words, the words in endurance sports performance magic. Do you remember at the top of the show? Do you remember the four? Consistency, progression, specificity, and yes, that thing, patience. They all align and they synchronize with each other. But a program or an athlete that displays these four words will not look like perfection. Let me tell you a story about an athlete, Jody. She begins her committed journey following a couple of seasons of fun and frolics. Let's call it getting her feet wet. She wants to grow, she wants to evolve, and she wants to improve. She's had fun, but now the goals have bubbled up. Now, Jody is willing to invest. And in her introductory coaching call, it begins with a typical question. What do you want to achieve? The answer, a common one. Well, I've enjoyed my first two seasons, but now I want to go to the next level. I hear that a lot. I want to go to the next level. There it is, folks. The statement of intent, the commitment. Jody is willing to invest. Equipment, coaching, sacrifice. This is the sport, important to her now, in her life. Jody is also time-starved. She's got a job in professional services, she has a little bit of travel, and she's in a relationship. Her sport is important in her life, and she wants, quite rightly, I should add, results. Sounds a little weighty, doesn't it? So now let's investigate her behavior pattern that blossoms out of this commitment. This investment in coaching, this armful of toys and devices to help her accelerate. So following some extensive planning, the development of a roadmap of the season, finally 
Her training plan is delivered by her coach. The training plan, her investment, her bona fide guaranteed promise of a roadmap to success. And on receipt of that training plan, Jody synchronizes all of her toys and gadgets to the plan delivery tool and away she goes, Monday to Sunday, every session full of instructions and intervals, every workout uploaded and analyzed. Jody trains for a couple of months, moving through the program with absolute commitment. She doesn't miss a session. She hits every minute of every session prescribed, and she knows that specificity is critical, and so she skips any sessions with friends or groups. This is committed. I'm going to follow through. I want results. Well, after a couple of months, she's made some general progress, but a few things start to rise out, things that she can't ignore really four main things. The first, the sport itself is taking up more time in her life than she planned or realized. Secondly, she hasn't actually grown in confidence. She tends to find herself doubting her performance ability, doubting her ability to race. Thirdly, Jody is starting to get anxious about the key sessions of each week, almost viewing them like a school examination. Here it comes, pass fail. And finally, she feels like the other areas of her life, important areas of her life, relationship, work, social life, are just being a little neglected. And she's really wondering, underneath it all, something she's not quite got the courage to admit, but is she really as happy as she was when she was just having fun? Now, the honest truth is that Jody at this point hasn't come to yet, is that her sport has simply become a second job. What was a fun adventure has become heavily focused and intense daily experience with great additional load. But she knows that specificity is important and Jody isn't one to give up on things. She wants the results. And this is what it takes. Now, she's not a pro, but she's determined to carry a pro mindset. Pause. Jody, best intentions, but she fell through the cracks. It is time before it is too late, and it could be too late, but it is time to course correct. By the way, feedback isn't about telling someone where they're going wrong. Feedback is to try to be delivered just in time to help people course correct. That was my job with Jody. But we now come back to the story. So she was falling through the cracks. We want to course correct. Now, in order to move forward on this story, I need to tell you a dirty secret. So this is today's dirty secret. In fact, we might even say, because it titillates me, it's Matt's dirty secret. Let's talk about the pros, the elite, the finest performing athletes in sport. So ask most amateurs, and a couple of common misperceptions often bubble up. The first There is a perception that pros just don't hurt as much. And in fact, I'm here to tell you, it's actually the reverse. But that's a conversation for another day. The second misperception is that pros are training machines with a Terminator-like approach mentally and physically to training and racing. Guess what? They're human beings. Big engines, 
but human beings. And they have learnt, many of them, learnt how to manage the physical and mental stresses of performance on a journey to find their best recipe in preparation. And that still exists, though, with more than enough doubts, fears and anxieties very similar to the things that you feel. But come up a level from this. Here is the dirty secret. Here is a summary of a normal professional athlete's training success. We can summarize it like this. There are a few catastrophic days. There is a sprinkle of excellent groundbreaking breakthrough sessions, the ones that we hang on to, remember, love the sport for. And there is a whole bunch of ordinary. Weeks and weeks, months and months of mostly relatively ordinary work. Some tough days and some superhuman days. Now, those weeks and weeks, those months and months are supported with great habits and applied again and again. And then they race and they learn and they apply the lessons, positive and negative, and then they race again. And they get good. They get very, very good. And over time, if they're smart or if they have a smart coach, performance predictability can improve because the team learns. But what I'm outlining there isn't precise. It isn't void of struggle. It isn't without many, many adjustments, course corrections and adaptability to things that just, well, that just happen. You see, their training is planned. It is specific specific to their level, their current fitness, their races that they're getting ready for, and their goals. It's specific. It's not random. We don't just throw intervals and long sessions at them. It's thought through and it's planned. But they are human beings. And they're human beings operating within this dynamic thing that we label as physiology. So even pros are seeking performance within the craziness of life. And what we have to realize, what you, the listener, should realize is that we are not building a bridge made out of 10,000 perfectly measured matchsticks that come together with a perfectly little refined piece of glue to create a wonderful piece of art and engineering. We're building a human being. So we can aim for specificity, and we'll get into that in a second, but we must realize that that doesn't mean precision engineering. And so with that dirty little secret, let's come back to Jody. Do you remember her experience after a few months? Sport taking up more time in her life than she planned or realized. She actually hadn't grown in confidence. She was getting anxious about key sessions every week, every one of them like a school exam, and the neglection in other areas of her life. Was Jody really happy in her pursuit that she was doing? Well, let's dive into the contributions to this. A few corrosive behaviors and mindsets were contributing to these challenges and emotions. The first, what I would label paralysis of analysis, the data dump and intense focus on every single session. And so every time she executed, what followed 
was plenty of time digging into every aspect of performance. And the pursuit was validation and measurement of getting better. Now, this takes time, breaking apart every single session. Remember how she felt like the sport was taking more time? I'm not surprised because she was spending almost as much time seeking answers that didn't need answering every single day and was never going to be able to find an answer every single day. And yet she didn't stop her trying. The second pursuit, the school exams. To Jody, specificity magnified the weight on every single workout. The pieces must fit together like a Swiss watch or catastrophe is the only thing that can follow. And of course, all this did was add pressure to every single session and it magnified the mental load within the key sessions. Pass or fail? Am I getting better? Am I improving? Am I good enough? The bigger question for her is, where's the fun? And the even bigger question is, if the pro's life is a little bit of catastrophe, a sprinkle of greatness, and a whole bunch of ordinary, how, 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 how can a pass-fail mindset in individual sessions going to be the development of confidence or even the measurement of getting better? To me, it just sounds like quite a bit of meh. Blah. The third, the fun vacuum. The obsession on daily success and the unbridled commitment to hitting every perfect minute, to make every perfect workout, to build up to every perfect week of a magical plan shifted her mindset from enjoyment to robotic. And all of the benefits that she could gain from support, accountability through friends and training with others instantly evaporated. And of course, with that went the fun, all in the pursuit of what she didn't realize or couldn't label precision. So collectively, this effort magnified her commitments, but magnified her mindset and drove her to obsession a massive amount of time consumption and brain space. This isn't just about physically being stressful, but it's also adding massive cognitive load, not the environment that your body is best suited to adapt, evolve, grow, and ultimately performing. So ultimately, her hobby was indeed becoming a second job. And for success, here's the second dirty secret. It didn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a second job for you to improve. Look, this isn't a call for random. This isn't a call or a pitch to throw your data away. In truth, I think that we can look at this thing on a continuum. On one end, you have the hyperanal, the obsessed, who get labeled or burdened with a perfectionist mindset. Typically a little bit lower on confidence, quite often getting drawn into the weeds and certainly into the daily metrics. These people generally could do with, well, a little bit more hippie, a little bit more free-flowing. But on the other end of the continuum are the wild and random. And these people that just fly by the seat of the pants, well, give them some structure, a little bit more specific structure, get behind their free approach, but frame it and typically 
these people are fly. They could do actually with being a little bit more anal. But the truth is that endurance sports tend to attract those who stray more towards the side of the continuum that are a little bit more analytical. And these traits are magnified with both the structure of our sports, our peers, misinformation, coaches, and let's not forget consumer marketing of products. So before you strip down out of your sweaty workout gear, you throw your power meter over the neighbor's fence, or you place your training plan on the fire, let's revisit the word specificity. You see, we can think of this word in a really positive sense, but we have to make sure that we're applying that word not with a strict parameter of precision thinking. Instead, all we want to do is ensure that the training program and the global approach is appropriate to the athlete level and their ability to positively adapt. Remember, training is about applying a specific stress, so appropriate to the athlete, and the athlete being able to positively adapt to it. Number one. The second part of specificity, the type of training needs to be aligned with their goals. It has to also, thirdly, integrate with their training availability and schedule. And finally, it should be suitable relative to the time or phase of the seasonal progression that they're in. Now, all of these dependents of specificity can have a broad application to different types of sessions and goals. And that's the third dirty secret today. There's lots of ways to skin a cat. There's lots of applications across all endurance sports, whether it's low, low intensity, high, high intensity, big volume, low volume. But we have to have those four things appropriate to the athlete level, their ability to positively adapt. It should be aligned with their goal. It must integrate into their life. And it has to be suitable to the time or phase of their seasonal progression. Now, of course, at Purple Patch, we prescribe training sessions that we find and believe have been proven to enable great success across levels of athletes and distances that they're training for. We have a few key repeatable themes of training that we feel over our experience and our research and our testing are valuable and important to improve athletes. Aspects such as low cadence, heavy strength endurance riding, hill-based running, race-ready type swim sessions. But these are at the backbone of the program. But on its own, individually, each one of these sessions is not the critical thing. And so when we think about specificity, instead, I really encourage you to come up a level, look at the whole, and aim to string together great consistency in your program with a backbone of specific sessions. You will arrive ready to perform. Now, of course, what this means in daily life is you should absolutely feel free to review your sessions, have a look at how you execute them, but never look at individual sessions as a simple measure of your improvement. See, instead, see trends over time, not just in the data, but how you're feeling, how you're thriving, what your resilience is like, how your body actually feels, and couple that and marry that with what the data is telling you with trends over the time. And realize 
that perfect performance doesn't require perfect training. We seek it. We do all we can to achieve it, but we won't ever truly make it. But great performances happen all the time. They happen all the time. Just think about what I said. Great performances don't require perfect training. We seek it. We do all we can to achieve it, but it will never make it. And yet, the great performances happen all the time. And guess what? Those doing those great performances didn't have perfect training. None of them. No one has perfect training. Your success as an athlete or a performance enthusiast is going to come down to two main things. Number one, planning as well as you possibly can, including a backbone of a whole bunch of wholesome and positive habits that support that planning. And then the second piece, great decision making. And that decision making, you can hopefully get mostly right. When to push through, how to adapt, when to back off. But I promise you, you won't be right every time. You won't be perfect. There it is again. You won't be perfect. It doesn't have to be precise to enable progression. Now, within these two, heavy planning, smart, integrated planning, and then great decision making, the value in coaching lays much less in the magic sessions. And in fact, great coaching is more about setting you up and helping you become versed in making good decisions as you navigate your own journey. That, to me, is the power of great coaching. Of course, that means, tangentially, that education needs to be a central part of the coaching journey. So yes, troops, you can gain specificity without being precise. And you can have some time back. And this is the Matt Dixon call to action for the day. Stop pissing away your life with daily searches for performance treasure. Stop seeking validation from every session. Give yourself permission to realize that precision doesn't make performance. It's a healthy dose of consistency, of specific training, progressed over time, and a whole lot of patience. And then good things happen. And they happen bigger and better if you do it all as a part of life with a smile mostly on your face and an enjoyment of the process along the way. Sounds appealing, don't you think? All right, so that is precision, or should I say, that is specificity. Reframe the way that you think about it, hopefully, enabling you, giving you time back, troops, to not become so analytical on every session, to try and refuse the pass-fail and look for trends of great behavior and realize that it's normal to have a whole bunch of ordinary and maybe a few even catastrophic days, but hopefully a sprinkle of some pretty darn good ones. So let's do question of the week. This is from one of our athletes, Alan, lives in Colorado, and he came in with a great question that I thought I wanted to answer. 
He said, I have a really hard time tapering for a race. And last weekend, I found like I was myself banging my head against the wall mentally as I ramped into Oceanside. For you guys that are listeners that are not triathletes, that's a race down in San Diego, Oceanside, California, just north of the city. And uh, it's a big half Ironman event. Well, he ended up having a decent performance, but he feels like there may have been more in there. And he says, I think I got in my own way. For context, I was sick for a few days, 12 to 9 days out. Thanks for the countdown, Alan. That's very helpful. And by the weekend prior, I thought it started to feel recovered, but also great and fresh. Race week took an eternity. I got more and more rested, and I never have enjoyed that feeling, often experiencing feeling better following a day or two of ramping load into a key session. So I straddled between doing a little bit more in the couple of days prior to the race or following the plan, which is to really go easy for the last couple of days. What do you think was the best path for me? So the short answer to it, Alan, is firstly, trust yourself. Follow what makes yourself feel good and confident and don't assess or question yourself once you've chosen your path, because then you can review the patterns and the success or the struggles following the race, of course, never during. So that's the short answer, but let me give you a little bit more context. So every athlete responds differently to rest and recovery, and I think it's really imperative for each athlete to take real ownership and understanding for what works best for them. And this can never be an exact science, and the answer isn't going to be just provided by your coach. The key to a lead into a race is to establish as much performance predictability as possible. And therefore, we want to try in race week to have a familiarity and rhythm about how we structure the sessions. But we want to do so with a little bit more rest to amplify performance readiness. But the routes to actually get there can be varied and highly individual. There's no magic bullet. And experiencing learning will offer you with lessons if, 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 if you are observant. Now, this scenario is especially true with extended endurance events where over-resting is the cause of so many athletes feeling flat and lethargic. And of course, flat and lethargic feelings can also wreak havoc on confidence. You simply can't remember what doing strong, sustained efforts is like. So at a macro level, let me give you three quick bullets. The first, for a less key race, simply train normally and then do the 72-hour drop-in. We call it the three-day drop-in. So we do this for a lot of elite athletes and you simply train to normal levels until about three days prior and then three, two, one, there's something magical about two to three days of real rest, just a little bit of sharpening that we can restore the system, restore the energy levels and get back up. Of course, important to sleep well and do just enough the day before that we don't slip into lethargy. Very, very simple. We also have what we call a 10-day dropping. So this is more for a key race. And the goal is that we tend to freshen from heavy load with about 10 days going into the race. And typically, we tend to have a little bit of a stronger weekend, the week of seven, six to seven days out of the race, a strong race simulation with a little bit of intensity. And then we come and rest at the front part of race week a little bit of work in the middle, Tuesday and Wednesday before a Saturday race, and then three days dropping into the race. That's a classic, and I hate the word, but taper going in. We repeat that three-day dropout going in. 
but we begin the rest about 10 days out. For those that don't like the rest, for those that hate the feeling, or for those that get sick 10 days, 12 days, two weeks before the race, and then we do what we would call an extra ramp out. And that's where 12 to 14 days out, we do almost no training, at least no hard training. We go for a very, very deep cleanse and the results of this will be great rest on the muscles, but you're either going to feel ironically like a coiled spring or a lethargic sloth. And it doesn't matter what the sensations are. The key is that the early rest will be needed and countered with a little bit more work in the next 10 days leading into the race. Now, this doesn't mean that you go to the track sessions and do some hard 400 intervals, or you don't need to go and prove yourself with a validating time trial effort on the bike, but you simply extend the race prep session somewhat. So a 20-minute spin might become 60 to 90 minutes. A 10-minute swim might actually be 20 to 30 minutes mostly endurance with some extended and smooth building efforts. And ultimately, you swim until you feel really good and you have a light and pleasant level of fatigue. So it's really just about awareness of having some work done. We want to avoid too much overrunning because it's weight-bearing and it has a propensity to create muscle damage. But the key is that by resting early and getting through the initial lethargy, you can then keep up the confidence building, endurance type work, and then boom, you drop in for the last couple of days. Now, this is a great option, Alan, if you're leading into a race and you happen to have had sickness a couple of weeks out, or you've missed training in that time frame due to life or travel, whatever it might be. Really what this all comes down to is adapting to your situation, realizing what sets you up to feel good emotionally and physically, And it isn't the time for fear-based training. It's simply aligning what works best for you, not your friends, you. And I encourage you to lean into the broad range of acceptability of what preparation for race day means. And ultimately become empowered by owning your own decision making. I hope that helps. Guys, that's the end of the show. It's been a fun one. Remember, you're not a Swiss watch. I am not a watchmaker take care thanks so much for listening this has been the purple patch podcast if you like what you hear would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to apple podcast to subscribe rate and review the show the apple podcast link is in the show notes Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!